welcome to his film, her movie. We are back. Yay. And we are the podcast that answers the question to what lengths will one married couple go to to make the other watch some films that they love. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And yeah, <laughs> as always, unplanned. It's been a while. It's been a while. A lot has happened. A lot has happened. You got a new job? Yep, got a new job. We went on holiday. Yay, we left the country. You went away with work? Twice. Twice? Twice since we lasted. One of my old job, one of my new job. It's just been a case of like things just being way too busy. Well, it's one of those where... And we're late. We finished the season, and we were like, oh, we'll have a couple of weeks off, and that those weeks turned into months. a month, then it turned into two months, then it turned into four months. Yeah. So we do apologise. Sorry. We are the worst at these sort of things, but we're back. Yes. And we are back with a brand new season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So last time it was heist films. To which I still won. <laughs> And this time we are going a little bit more broad, I think. Yeah, something. We're not sticking to a specific genre. I'm still finding this hard. (laughs) So we've decided to go with potential future classics. So the films that have been made within the last, say, 10 years that Mm -hmm. we think that in 50 years will be seen as the classics of say, the 60s and 70s are now. Yeah, to me as well, it's like, um, oh, what is it? Like, oh, like The Breakfast Club and um, Pretty in Pink and oh, like those 80s films. You're just naming, you're just naming John Hughes movies. <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> anything by John Hughes, it's a classic. <laughs> um, and what I really like about this, this can be something that you might have seen these films, you might not have seen these films, mm-hmm. but... There's quite a few classics back then that probably didn't do very well. And then they've sort of gained a bit of a cult status and they've became recognised for how good they were. There is a bit of that. And I think for me, it's I tend to choose older movies or movies from my childhood. So this is actually gets me to have a look at the movies of today. What I love about that statement is people who have listened to us would be like, God, George was a serious child. <laughs> Really serious. What was that Nixon film you made me watch that was three hour monologue? Secret Honor. And it was only about two hours. Oh God, but it felt about nine when we watched it. You watched that as a child? As no, a childhood film? No. <laughs> so, my choice first. Yes. And I've gone with a 2019 film. Yes. Directed by the Safety Brothers, mm-hmm. starring Adam Sandler. Available on Netflix, mm-hmm. and that is Uncut Gems. Which I feel like got a really big resurgence this year, thanks to Julia Fox's uh, infamous interview where she told everybody that she was Josh Safdie's muse for Uncut Gems. Mm. Um, she didn't say Uncut, Uncut Gems, though, did she? She said Uncut Gems. <laughs> That's my really bad impression. <laughs> <laughs> that just did the rounds for like an entire month on TikTok. Okay, that's all I heard for like a month. Oh, God. But before we get into um, the meat and potatoes of it all, mm-hmm. what's been keeping you entertained? For me, I've been watching a few different things. Mm-hmm. I recently just watched um, a Studio Ghibli film. Right. Um, uh, the, the Cat Who Returned. It's about. Um, Cat Returns. Cat Returns, that's it. And what it's about, like, a little girl who saves a kitty cat. Love it. And then um, has to marry the Prince of Cats and she tries to get out of it and she meets some nice cats and she meets some bad cats. And that is also on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And it's really good because um, you'll be able to, like, watch it and there's, like, um, loads of famous people have done, like, voiceovers and everything in it. So it was really nice and it wasn't too long. I think so, it was like eight minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, because sometimes, like, I feel like with an animated film, sometimes they can be getting a bit longer. Yeah, it's it's one of those Ghibli films. That, I mean, I haven't seen it, um, so therefore, like, it, it's not one of the, the widely known ones. Mm-hmm. So, would you recommend it? I would definitely recommend it. It was cute. I really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, it wasn't too long. 
Um, animation style, lovely. Yeah, it was just, it was just a nice... Was it a family film or was it, it was, a bit more dark? No, it was definitely more of a family film. Cool. Just something really nice and easy. Um, and yeah, if you love cats, you'll love this film. <laughs> and the only thing that I'll probably say bring up is that, I mean, since we have last recorded, it's not really been films that have been keeping you busy. No, I've read so many books. Um, any SJ Mars fans out there, please contact the podcast because nobody I know has read everything. And I mean, like, everything I've read. So it's oh. SJ Mars? Yes. Not Mass? No, it's Mars. It's Mars. Mars. Um, I have, well, I've always heard it's been SJ Mars. Um, I've read all of Akhtar. I love it. Tamlin's awful. Hate Tamlin. Um, I've read all of Throne of Glass. That was good wasn't as good. I've read the last two Crescent City books and I swear to God, the last chapter in the last Crescent City book, um, I came through and I was trying to explain to you just how excited I was and how important this was. Um, and when I was reading it, I was like literally like kneeling on the bed going, oh my God, oh my God. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I've read so much. I've read almost 20 books. Yeah, like we, we went on holiday <laughs> And it, we went on a seven-day holiday, yeah, and it was a relaxing holiday. It wasn't like we were busy. We were literally lying by a pool in the heat. Drinking for, cocktails. Drinking cocktails for seven days. But how many books did you read in that week? Um, I read eight. <laughs> I think it was eight. I had reread mm-hmm. Akhtar before we went because I was like trying to fill up my time. And then I read the, the um, prequel to the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. which is actually being filmed now as a film. Being filmed now as a film, yeah. yeah. Um, that's due to come out next year. Yeah. Um, and the, the cast's been announced, I think, and it looks really good. Um, so I would definitely recommend people to read that in preparation for the film because... What's it called? It is called... I'm putting you on the spot now, aren't I? Yeah, you are. It's like Songbird and something... Just type in Hunger Games prequel. Type in Hunger Games prequel. You'll find it. Um, it's really good because it's going to be one of those ones where I don't feel like they're going to be able to make this like a family-friendly film. Okay. Um, it's very dystopian. It's set about 10 years after the great revolution that they had that led to the Hunger Games. So this is like the 10th Hunger Games. Right. And it's um, like the how President Snow became to be who he is. It's like him and his teens and everything. It's mm. very good. Very interesting. Okay. Um, so I read that in like a day. Yeah. Because I read it on the plane. And you can't do anything on a plane. Um, so I read, and we were delayed. Oh, we were delayed. Yeah. So I read it that. Um, and then I read seven of the Throne of Glass books. And there's like eight of them. But the thing is, I didn't realise I was reading seven books because when I downloaded it from Kindle, it was just one really big file. Yeah. So I just kept going and kept going. And um, how many books did you read on holiday, Jordan? One. <laughs> Jordan That's read the normal. That's a lot for me. Jordan I read. read the normal amount of books. I read at the pace of like a reception student in like a five-year-old reads with their completely enunciating every single word in their head whilst they read. Okay, so do you see it when you're reading it? Like, do you see what's happening? Not really, no. You don't. So in your head, you're not seeing the scene act out. No, no, no. I read a thing about how it's very interesting that some people don't. Like, um, the best way to describe is to know if you're this kind of person is imagine a purple apple. Can you imagine a purple apple? I'm colorblind, so probably not. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I completely forgot. <laughs> but lots of people can be like, I don't know how to like imagine yeah, yeah, a purple like apple because yeah, yeah. um, it's just something that you wouldn't normally see. And if you can, then you're that kind of person that will be able to imagine. So when I'm actually reading the books, it's like I am there yeah. with like watching it yeah, yeah. happen. It's like I'm watching a film in your head. Yeah, it's like I'm watching a film That's in my cool. head. So. I think that's why I tend to go quite fast because if I read how you read, I'd be like, oh my God, this scene is so slow and it's a big battle. Um, Whereas when I'm reading it, I'm getting through it quickly. And I sometimes do go back over things 
Right. Um, but I'll go, but I'm like, I'm reading it like as the, at the pace of what you would watch on a TV show or on a, on a film. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could. I can't. I, my head just doesn't work that way. So if anybody's got any sort of trash books, please let me know. And I will read them. I love a bit of, I love a bit of fantasy romance trash at the moment. Yeah. That's what's, that's what's keeping me going. Awesome. What about you? What have you been watching? So the first film that I kind of want to talk about is probably the big movie of the week, and that is the Russo Brothers' $200 million Netflix blockbuster, The Grey Man, which is starring the human Kendall himself, Ryan Gosling. Cannot wait for that film. And Chris Evans teaming up with the, the Marvel directors again. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the story is pretty basic. You've got Gosling, who plays this Agent Six, um, and after assassinating a target, he acquires a rather glamorous-looking memory stick that has some incriminating. When you say it's glamorous-looking, is it like it's, it's not like a memory stick? It's like it's it's made into like a necklace, like a medallion necklace, but it's, it's a memory stick. So he's got like okay, it's gold. It's very extra. Very extra. It's very bougie. So, yeah. So, this memory stick's got incriminating evidence about um, Reggie Jean Page's Carmichael, uh, Mr. Bridgerton himself. Is he Bridgerton, actually? I'm not sure. But, um, so, yeah, who's this shady agency leader of some sort? And Carmichael hires Chris Evans's psychopathic Lloyd to find and kill Agent 6. And what ensues is a manhunt that spans many, many European countries. And, well, it's like, it's one of those things, it's like, if I sound bored talking about the plot, that really doesn't bode well for the film. <laughs> and it's not the film is, is terrible or bad, really. It's just a bit bland, um, which for Netflix's most expensive film to date, and from like the directors of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, it, it really shouldn't be. It's it's this action thriller that lives between the lines of Bond and Bourne. Okay. But it doesn't have the suaveness of the style of Bond and it doesn't have the rawness and the brutality of Bourne. It, it's just kind of simple. I feel like I've heard this sort of story before. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a total, total sort of paint-by-numbers yeah. sort of film. And, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of simple. And apart from, like, a decent, a decent action scene set in Prague, never really grips you at all. Even, I mean, and even, like, in that sequence, I don't think they did anything massively inventing like inventive or eye-catching and it was just a competently directed set piece and which then like sort of makes me think about those marvel films and were they were their action scenes actually good or was it the emotional response and the familiar familiarity and nostalgia that we brought that to them scenes as an audience that actually got us involved in them. I've got a way of testing this theory. What? We get my mum to watch it. <laughs> my mum has absolutely no like emotional response yeah. connection to them. We get we get Karen to watch it and we go, was that a good action scene? Well, that, that's, well it's one of those where you feel it's a $200 million movie. And don't get me wrong, it did actually play in some cinemas. I'm mm-hmm. um, not round here. I think it played in showcase cinemas. Um, so people could see it a week before it came out on Netflix. But okay. Yeah, I don't know if it, maybe it was just the fact that I watched this on the TV that it didn't wow me. And I just watched it on at home. And maybe that is, can actually answer what my next point is. And like the one thing that really confuses me is where did the money go? Because oh. like, it doesn't, it doesn't look cheap, it, but you expect some kind of balls-to-the-wall grandeur for $200 million. And I mean, the only thing that I can think of is that 
mean, the Russo brothers gave themselves each 20 million. They gave Gosling 20 million and Evans, and Evans 20 million to be in the movie and things like mm-hmm. that. And it was a 120 million movie, really, when you got down to the production. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and like, I can only go back to that fact that it's, it's competently made. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's an insult or it's a compliment. Okay. It's, okay. I, it's one of those films that just, yeah, it just by the numbers and leaves you wanting more a bit. And like Gosling is good, but maybe a tad out of place. And Evans gives this rather unhinged, full of energy performance, which, like, to be honest, even though it felt a little, little out of character with the tone of the film itself, it was probably my favourite part it was his performance. But yeah, it was just a bit bland and yeah, not terrible, but the script didn't have enough momentum to be a tight action thriller mm-hmm. or enough charm to rely on its characters to get you through the, the duller moments. And that's a shame because they're both quite charming yeah. men. So you'd expect them to bring some of their natural charm to these type of things. And if it's the it. guy from Bridgerton, he's also lovely and charming. So you'd expect him as well mm. just to bring. Yeah, I just, just do not think the script was, is was it, good is enough. It, right, okay. Is it, this, this might be controversial. Mm. Have they just picked actors that they know are good and can deliver mm. but are popular? Maybe. And they've just, it's just not worked rather than, rather than picking the best actors for the roles, Mm. they've picked actors where people were like, I like Chris Evans. I like him. I like him. It's just one of those where I think a film like this, you could have made for $40 million, 1997, Mm -hmm. put Nicolas Cage in there. Nicolas Cage having an unhinged, brilliant time. And it would just be, I just think it would, work way better. I don't know if it... And we know that Nicolas Cage can still do it because we went to go see his film. Yeah, it was good. It was mental. Yeah. But it was great. It did feel a little bit like you're leaving, leaving a fever dream when you left the cinema. Mm. And, well, what else have I watched this week? Um, Stranger Things. I have. I'll get to Stranger Things. I think there's something else that I want to talk about okay. before that. And, like, yeah, it's it's... I don't know if The Grey Man is, for me, it's like a recommend or not. It's like a, if you've got nothing on, put it on. You might be entertained. But, so it's not, it's not a waste of time, if you will. But I will tell you about a waste of time. And that is 2019's Guns Akimbo. Oh, really? Because I haven't seen this film. So this is the Daniel Radcliffe vehicle. Okay. From director Jason Howden. And it has um, Dan Radcliffe as a troller of internet trolls. So he trolls the trolls. Does that make him a good guy? Does it make him Kinda, more of an asshole? Yeah, he's basically called in the mouth. But what it is, is like he's fighting against this new streaming service called Schism, where people are chosen to fight each other to the death. Right. And people can log in, go to the website and watch them because they've got drones and things like that following these people so they can basically see each other, like see them kill each other or try to kill each other. It sounds like the Hunger Games. Yeah, a little bit like that. Um, But But for the Netflix generation. (laughs) Sorry. But so he says some bad things about Schism on the website. And what happens is they realize, well, he realizes that they've tracked his IP address. They pay him a visit. They drug him. They bolt a gun to each of his hands. And then he's put um, up against the longest standing winner of this schism website, which is Nick's, who is played by Samara Weaving. I have a question. Yes. Why didn't he just go to the police and go, I don't want to do this. Well, Can you please help me? Well, one, he originally does go to the police. Right. Not not go to the police, but he sees two officers. Yeah. But he stupidly sort of like puts his hands up and he's got guns bolted. So the police kind of 
are about to shoot him because he's got guns in his hand. Okay, yeah, I get that. Right. Um, and then the police chase him, and then it just sort of goes on from there. What happens if he went to a hospital instead and was like, "These bastards!" Are but, like- but also, what happened? He could ask for help, but again, Nix is always looking for him. So therefore, she doesn't care if he is in a police jail. She, she'll just kill everybody in there. Okay, so how is she not being caught by the police and just shot anyway? Well, that, well, this is. Well, Am I picking too many holes? Kind in of a little bit, yeah. Because th- th- there is a a subplot regarding that, but it's dumb. So I remember watching the trailer for this coming out, and I was like, you know what? That looks like it could be a good time. And I've spoke about Radcliffe when we we've spoke about Radcliffe post Harry Potter on this podcast a few times, mm-hmm. and like he likes to choose these crazy projects and. Radcliffe is good here and his charm and his likability grants you some leeway but the film itself um, yeah, it's just not good it's, it's, it's one of those films where it's just a bit irksome and over stylish in an annoying way and you know me I like some over stylized cheese yeah. I, I, I like it when People sometimes do do things that are a bit nuts. But when a director is so obviously trying to be like the adopted love child of Joe Carnahan and Neville Dean Taylor, but is just a weak facsimile of those two, and it's, it's whether like Carnahan and Neville, Neville Dean Taylor, like, they bring a mania to their films, but it's a bit more polished. Whereas this is just annoying, and it, it, it and it's also trying to be funny and be a satire. And there's nothing less funny than something trying to be funny and failing. I I I have um I have like two or three scenes that I've never seen this film mm-hmm. I think are in this film okay okay um the first one is when Radcliffe wakes up I feel like you get like a camera on the side and I close up to his face a camera on the side of close up his face. yeah you know like when it's like oh like, you know when he's like oh, lying down sure. okay I feel like Maybe. that's the kind of shot yeah, yeah, that'll yeah. be in this um, I feel like you'd also get another shot of like this Nyx woman yeah. um, jumping down and you just get like a close up of her feet just going boom on the floor. Probably, or the, the, the on top probably. of a car. I feel like it will be on top of a car. Yeah, I mean, the thing is... And I also think um, there will be a shot of either her or Radcliffe on their knees spinning around with guns yeah. in slow motion. It's to- no, see? Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing isn't like Slow motion hair going, you, well, dressing gown going. It, it, it's, it's sadly, it's, like, it's, it's the first time I've probably not liked Samara weaving in something. Oh, okay. And I wholly think that lies at the feet of the director because you can see that she's given it her all, but her character is a little bit too much of a basement gamer's wet dream <laughs> and like very male fantasy. Like, you do have the slow motion. She takes out 20 people, but whilst doing it... Oh, are the, are the shells dropping on the, the floor? The shells are dropping on the floor. Oh, my God. She, she gets the barrel and she licks up and down the barrel of the gun. Does she have a knife and does she throw it and does it hit somebody in the head? She's mostly just guns. She's mostly just guns. Okay. But if she had a knife, she'd throw it and it'd hit somebody, slap bang in the head, and they go, yeah. and like fall backwards. Yeah, so it, it's... I feel yeah, like I've it, watched it, this it, film. It, it's not, it's not very good. And also, like, Radley, like Radcliffe's character goes from scared wimp to military-grade marksman in the third act, and it just doesn't feel right. That, I would just say, just don't watch it. Just It's not very good. Have you been watching anything else? Um, I've been watching a few, like, TV bits. I know of a film that you have watched that you're probably forgetting to talk about. Uh... On Disney+. Plus. On Disney Plus recently. That was a TV show, and that is now a movie. Bob's Burgers. I 
watched the Bob's Burgers film the other day. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Do you know what? That? I really liked it. And I really liked it. And I, show, I saw something that, because um, I believe it was delayed. Right. Um, but somebody online had put up a comparison of the shot of the street with like Bob's Burgers building, the one that's in the film and mm. the one that's in the TV show. And just like the sheer amount of detail, the li- the lighting as if it would be, they've done it as if you'd be lighting an actual shot. Oh, right, okay. So you've got like the shadows coming across the building, like the sun's on the left-hand side and it's going yeah. over the buildings and everything. Everything's just so much more detailed. Um, if you like Bob's Burgers um, and you like the songs, there are about three songs, I think, in okay. there. Three, possibly four. Not... Um, don't really detract from don't really detract from the plot. My favorite one is the one with the carnies because they then just all carry on like it's perfectly normal to break into song. Um, it's got a really good story that basically um they're going to lose Bob's Burgers, and they've got a week to get so much money to um the bank, and then what happens is a big sinkhole opens up like in front of the burger restaurant. So they te- people technically can't come get in. Um, and Louise goes in to prove to everybody at school that she's not a baby. She goes in and there's a dead body in there. <laughs> and then so the like um Linda and Bob are off trying to like save the restaurant. And the kids are like, we're gonna find a murderer and we're gonna solve this case. Right. Um, and it's really good fun. Um, I really like it. It's got all like the characters that you know from the TV show. Um, really, really good. Um, so it's basically more of the same, but on more a of the same, yeah. but like you extended. It's extended, and you can just see like the quality of the animation is so much better because yeah. it's extended, and they had like more time to finish it. Mm. Um, I just it was just a really nice watch. Really liked it. Thought it was fun. Um, love Kristen Charles. Think she's great. I would definitely probably. I think I would be Louise. I'm probably Martina. <laughs> but in my head, I'm Louise. Yeah. Though I could totally see me being a mum like Linda and just like singing and dancing <laughs> and embarrassing the kids. That would probably be me. <laughs> uh, well, the final thing that I want to talk about before we get to Uncut Gems. And this is, I mean, it has taken up most of my time over the last few weeks. Yes. I've, I've finally got around to catching up with seasons two, three, and four of Stranger Things. Are you fully caught up now? I'm fully caught up now. Fully caught up. So I can send you memes that I don't really understand from yeah. TikTok and everything and videos. I, and I'll and know stuff. exactly what's happening. Great. I only know what's happening from the internet. <laughs> and I don't really need to talk about Stranger Things and what it is because it is a cultural phenomenon. At this point. And I actually watched the first season when it first came out in 2016. Well, then we watched it. We rewatched it a few years ago as well. And like I fell off hard after the second season came out and the first couple of episodes of season two didn't really hit me. And then it just comes on as like with each subsequent season, it's sort of like, oh, I'm going to have to sit there and I'm going to have to sit through season two and get through that to get to the new season. And watching that second season, it's not it's nowhere near as bad as I remember it being. However, it is by far the worst season of the four. Okay. And I think what's to blame is strangely the success of the first season. Mm-hmm. Because what you've got is Netflix realizing in a weekend that they have an absolute smash on their hand. And it's like we need a new season of this as soon as possible. Yeah. And we get one the following year. And it's a bit more of the same as the first season with Will being the one, the victim of it all and things mm-hmm. like that. However, there's two years between the second and third season. So you can see that they've spent a bit more time really getting the stories down and developed as like a few groups are made up of the main characters and they go off on their own journey. And that massively helps with keeping the pace going through Mm -hmm. each episode. And 
And what I like about that third season and what they really get pitch perfect in the fourth is that the tone of the series changes a bit from the Spielbergian, Amblin-esque, kids on an adventure feel yeah, to very much a Stephen King it vibe. Okay. And the gore and the ickiness in the third season really, really amps up. I mean, the main villain, uh, the mind flayer of the season, is this, is this monster that gets its shape from the melted and disintegrated corpses of its victims. Lovely. So, like, you can see random bones and flesh just poking out as it moves along. Ugh. And the sound design, it's, it's superb. And and there's Vecna. Well, Vecna season four. We've got up with that. Yeah. 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 In like season three, we finally really, really do get that bromance between Dustin and Steve, mm-hmm. which is probably my favorite thing about the entire show. Those two are brilliant together. And when you, their storyline, you put in a new character with Mia Hawk, which mm-hmm. there's Russians and there's weird bunkers and everything like that and it's superb and you have the finale which is brilliant and it rivals any of the 80s films that um it's influenced by Mm -hmm. and it just ups the scale and the execution and that's just to be like applauded but then you get to the most recent season season four three years and one pandemic before (laughs) after the third season um, and our last time in Hawkins. And this is the one where I think the Duffer brothers, who are the creative force behind all this, really start to flex their muscles. There's nine episodes. Yeah. I think the average length of each episode is around the 80-minute mark. So you're watching a film. Yeah. And the final episode is 140 minutes. Okay. Which I think is unheard of when it comes to TV. And yet, crazy when you actually think about it, but you know what? They they, they pull it off. And not actually, not, they don't even pull it off. They absolutely knock it out of the park because it's an emotional roller coaster. It's proper blockbuster entertainment. It's creepy as all hell. As all hell. And even that some like some storylines are better than others, they all blend together mm-hmm. effectively. So they all make sense yeah. Together, and, yeah. And and it is pretty epic. And yeah, going back to what I said regarding like the Stephen King vibes, what's really interesting is to see how they're developing Hawkins and like Hawkins, Indiana into a bit of a dairy man okay. situation. Like I can absolutely see that after the next season, which is going to be the last one, there could be a spin-off set in Hawkins about like the history of Hawkins and things like that. Like one one of my favorite things about, and one of I think the pieces of genius about it, the novel is that it's not just about the story of Pennywise and the gang of gang of kids and the then adults, but it's like a historical piece of, evidence about Derry as a town. Yeah. And you really delve into the the foundations of that town. It's brilliant. But yeah, it's like believe the hype about Stranger Things in this last season because it's a bit of a banger. And people will talk about the length of like, is it over the top? Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where we talk about creative freedom. especially with like filmmakers and things like that. And is it self-indulgent to have that amount of time and that amount of money for a TV show? And I'd say probably, but sometimes artists being indulgent works. Like David Lynch, I want David Lynch to be indulgent. I want Mm -hmm. him to make a film that he makes. Tarantino, Mm -hmm. I want to hear what Tarantino does. The longer, the more Tarantino-esque, the better. And I think that's what happens with it's what happened with season four of Stranger Things. We've yeah. fully got what I think the vision was, and it's 
it is huge compared to like where it's where it's got from season four from where it began in season one. It is just out of this world. I completely agree. I think like yeah, people can say yeah, it, it's being selfish and being all this indulgence, like you've said. But if that visionary is then actually giving us something that to enjoy, mm. if that visionary is then making this whole entire world that people are loving and consuming at a rapid rate, like I mean, it's so cultural. Like yeah. the fact that like they brought. Kate Bush to the top of the charts yeah. and brought uh, Master of Puppets back into the, exactly. the top 10. You can't buy a Hellfire t-shirt no. anywhere. Um, all that sort of style is all completely crazy. But I think if, if they can deliver, mm. then it, it's like you don't look at people and go, oh, well, Stephen King's wrote. X amount of books that's selfish and very indulgent. You've seen the size of some of those, you could kill people. Well, it's the size about it. of like it is such a self indulgent, it's like what 1200 pages long, exactly. But that's it. But if people love it and yeah. they consume it and they go, That was worth it, then yes, maybe they've been self indulgent, but then they've given something back to the fans, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, love, love, um, Stranger Things. We'll have a little break, yeah. We'll have a clip of Uncut Gems and then we'll come back and we will talk about it. Yay. I'm sorry if this has anything to do with me, but I swear I really didn't do anything. I wish you were nicer to me, though. It was not nice what you did to me. I try, but it's really hard. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't have any place to go. I don't have anywhere to get better. But you do. Like, really, Howard. You're my home. You could come to me. I I can't figure out. I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. Everything I do is not going right. Everything I do is not going right. I don't know what to do. I really don't. I don't want any more of this shit. I really don't. I gotta figure this out. I gotta figure this out. I really do. Well, I I got something if you want, but you can't make fun of me. What? I got it so stupid, but no. I don't know. I got it. I thought I thought it would make you feel better. Look, unzip my skirt. Not like that. Just unzip my skirt. It says Howie. What did you do? Why would you? Do you don't like it? No, I do. I'm not worth it. You I'm not are. worth you it. I don't. Look, Howie. You, I'm so crazy about you. It. Yes, you do. I love no, you. No, no, <laughs> yeah. you're gonna, you can't even get buried with me now. Right then. Str- uh, not Stranger Things, Uncut Gems. To the actual feature film yes, of the to, night. To the subject of this episode's podcast. We could have just carried on talking about what we watched <laughs> and read. Uh, so this is the first film that I chose for future classic season. And well... I guess the reason why I chose this is that not only is it a, is it a great movie, it's the only film that I can remember having to turn off at a certain point because it made me too anxious. Oh, really? Okay. And I mean, I was going through a bit of a stressful time myself at the moment, and this sort of piled onto that a bit much more. But I think... When a film is so absolutely and hugely effective in the thing that it's trying to do, it is a success. And it's a film that can make you squirm with stress, whereas films generally evoke an emotional response from its audience. I actually think, in a way, that Uncut Uncut Gems evokes a physical response. Okay. And... In that in an audience is such a rare thing, and it's not like it's done through like the the easier of like cinema techniques, like jump scares in horror mm-hmm, films, mm-hmm. Um, because like those are sort of fleeting and like they they don't work. They only work in a visual medium. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this, and I guess this is Uncle Trump's is a type of horror film in the way that it's really able to crank up the tension and that feeling of dread throughout the runtime and it is a really bizarre experience for me um 
And I mean, the story is pretty simple. You've got Adam Sandler who plays Howie Ratner. He's a New York jeweler. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely in mountains of debt. Mm-hmm. He's about to get what he thinks is going to be his big break, his big money um, gainer, really, yeah. with this black opal, mm-hmm. very, very rare black opal. And it follows him for a couple of days through that. I'm really, really interested. Before I'm going to ask about what you think about the movie, I think the first thing that needs to be talked about about Uncle James is Adam Sandler. Okay, okay. So I like Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of his comedies and Mm. all this. Um, never really seen him in a dramatic serious role, yeah. dramatic role. Um, He's only did a few, really, when you think about it. Yeah. The thing is, and it's one of those things where when he does it, he's always really good. Yeah, and I did. I thought um, he made Howie completely unlikable. Mm. He, he, he was really good at it. I did like it. Um, I thought that Adam Sandler was very very good at it um i can understand why he maybe doesn't want to do dramatic roles because it just looked like the kind of character that he was playing would be such a strain Mm. to maintain that sort of level of anger yeah all the time it must have been very exhausting for him um so i can understand why because i know a lot of people go oh he just makes these type of films and just puts his friends in films do you know what? Those type of films make him money and it means that he can then carry on doing something that he enjoys. Good on the man. If I could do the same, I would. Yeah, I mean, he's got his Netflix movie films where he had a huge contract with Netflix where he just yeah. makes his comedies where some of them hit, some of them don't, but that's comedy. You know what I mean? And he's at the stage where he can make a film that if it doesn't hit, he's like, well, I've got about 20 others that did and they're yeah. bringing in the money. Well, this has been an experiment for me of being able to play about with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really good that he's in that sort of stage of his life where he can do that. And I would like to see him in more dramatic roles. I would like him maybe playing a softer character because mm-hmm. a lot of his comedy roles are very much the same same sort of he's, he's very very big he sometimes puts very, on a voice big. he does all that sort of thing yeah i think we, we were going to have to sit down and watch punch drunk love because that's i mean i think howie is probably his best performance but punch drunk love uh, paul thomas anderson's punch drunk love is he and that was his first sort of when people went it, what is he actually very good yeah um, I, I mean don't be wrong his, his comedy is there but as a dramatic sort of presence and for me, he is a he's a force of nature in this film, mm-hmm, and it's unlike mm-hmm. anything we've ever seen from him throughout his career. And he should have won an Oscar for it. Yeah, he definitely. shouldn't. He wasn't even nominated, and that in itself is probably the biggest Academy Awards number the last decade. There's actually a lovely interview um, thing that he did with Brad Pitt. And I believe it's Variety that do it. It's on YouTube. It's called Actors on Actors. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's just so sweet because what you've got is Brad Pitt gushing praise onto Adam Sandler. And Sandler not, but just, just looking so awkward and not knowing what to do with all these compliments. Yeah, because at the same time, I don't feel like he probably... Would because he does a lot of comedy stuff. People like he's good, he's funny, he's mm. all this. He can write a funny story. To have somebody like Brad Pitt to come up and be like, "You were amazing. You did this." No, it would probably make a lot of people very uncomfortable. Yeah. But he's probably not used to having somebody who you would also see as being like top level actors yeah. coming up and being like, "I loved that." He's probably used to people being like. That made me laugh so much. It was really great. Really enjoyed it. And, and complimenting him on a different sort of level. Mm, well, absolutely. And like, it's also like Uncut James talking about like the anxiety and, and the stress and how it actually creates that. And it's a film that I would love to sit down and read the script just to see how it looks on the page because the dialogue is so quick. 
like entire lines seem to be cut off by someone else seeing something. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes what they're seeing has nothing to do with the scene. And that's odd for a movie. And it gives that sense of panic, like, like no one is in control of the situation and that information will be missed. And that like, and, and that, that's like a personal thing for me. I do believe Cause it's like the worst place you could put me is in a room where there's a bunch of people talking, <laughs> but there's five different conversations happening. AKA any party with my family. It's a massive trigger for me. And like, I just tense up and want to get out of the room. Um, (laughs) This is John saying he never wants to go back to the family party now. (laughs) It's triggering. I can't deal with you all. You're all too loud and you talk too much. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's not even like the dialogue as well in this. It's the sound design overall because there's always something going on. Mm -hmm. Either it's buzzing sounds of that damn buzzer letting people into the um shop it's car horns mm-hmm. it's just your general sort of cityscape of chatter and it always it, it, it lets the film sort of live mm-hmm. and exist and just reiterate how you, it's a busy busy world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how it is a busy busy guy like he is constantly like turned up to 11 so, like regarding that, because that is the takeaway mostly from Uncut Gems is that it is it's just this experience of stress and anxiety and how it builds up. What was your experience with it? I didn't feel stressed. Really? No, I didn't. I didn't feel stressed, and I don't know if that says something about my kind of stress levels watching it. Um, I I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, I. So, I obviously hadn't seen this before, mm. and I, I'd seen all the stuff online about it and the whole Julia Fox thing. So when she came on, I was very. I, this sounds so bad. I really wasn't expecting that much from her. She's very because, good, but she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was really, really good in it, and I don't know if it's because I'd always just sort of seen like interview bits, and she came off just sort of like, oh. Very happy, la la la. So I just hadn't really ever taken her seriously. She comes then, off like vapid in real life, like really sort of like bimboy, vapid. Yeah, like, like not sounds really bad, but not intelligent. Yeah, but, but then she delivers a great performance in this. Yeah, to which me that then sort of says it's the same sort of thing as what like Paris Hilton's done yeah. for so many years. She's actually incredibly clever. She knows exactly what she's doing, and she just has a public face that she puts out there. Um, because I don't, I honestly don't think you can act as well as she can and actually be a vapid person. No. Um, so I think I've been taken in by the public face and underestimated her. Um, so I was very pleased to be able to sort of watch her and really enjoyed her performance. I thought she looked amazing. Mm. She looked great. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed. Um. Adam Sandler's performance. Um, as somebody who's sort of like grown up watching his films, like I said, it was very different for me seeing him in a serious role. But he really, really epitomized that character. He yeah. was the sort of character where I was like, I could very much imagine this type of person existing oh, yeah. and acting like this and believing this and doing this. Um, I fully believed it, fully believed him. Um, there were bits, um, the, the few like little bits. I thought it was quite funny when he got locked in the car boot. I know it's not meant to be funny when his wife comes out and he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And she's like, what's happening? Um, and she obviously just must think it's like part of because she knows she's having an affair. Yeah, she must just think, oh, it's just a weird sex game gone horribly wrong. Um, but then also that the money lenders that he owes the money to is also his brother-in-law. Yeah. So it's like okay, so it's all very intertwined together, which I really thought was a good way because it's not just some unknown like faceless loan shark or yeah, something yeah. it's family 
that's and the it's thing like is, the screwing yeah. over of family as well. Like so, so I think it's with 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 Arnold. Like, so I don't know if he is the lone shark. No, or he works. He, he's, he's a lackey. Yeah, the he's a lackey. A lackey. Yeah. So it, it's a bit of a strange one, but it's like also it's like a it's a moral thing with Howard as well, and the way Sander plays him because yeah, he is a despicable, like a despicable person. He's truly awful. However, at the end of the film. I 100% find myself cheering for him. Like, I yeah. find myself just like, when he's watching that basketball game, I'm urging that to him for to succeed. Way. Yeah. And and I guess that is sort of what the film gets right and what makes it stressful because it opens up that tiny little window into how a degenerate gambler lives like. Mm-hmm. And it's the sheer lack of thought that goes into the consequences and the blinkered view. He's focused only on the opportunity. And I think it was the scene um, where he gives the opal to Kevin Garnett, Yeah, takes his championship ring as collateral, and in the very next scene, without even contemplation, he goes, pawns the ring, because he needs money to put a bet on. And, like, it's, okay, if I remember correctly, at the time I was just thinking, like, just take a second and think about the consequences. Take a, like, think about your actions and the fact that he doesn't and he has no sort of understanding of that part of life. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's so baffling. And it's like, it seemed like that. And when they're sort of layered on top of each other, because, it's just a story of a bad decision followed by a bad decision followed by a bad decision. Yes. And like that, it doesn't let you breathe and it's suffocating. Because I say, all you're wanting to do is the film to have a little bit of a lull so you can gather yourself and recenter, but it just doesn't, doesn't let you and it's discompobulating. And like, like even <clears throat> in a visual sense, like the use of extreme close ups makes the entire thing feel a bit claustrophobic like as well as the shop like it's a very oh, small it's a very small weird shop. shop and like how the camera zips in single shots to characters like it's not like uh, over the shoulders it's sort of zipping from one character and when another one's talking it's zipping over and zipping it's like you're there yeah it's like you're yeah it's pov kind of in a way yeah. um which is brilliant and i also think that I'm not sure if, he, but like Kevin Garnett is real. Like he's a real, was a real basketball player. Uh, as in the the guy playing him was is is called Kevin Garnett. That that is Kevin Garnett. He's a oh, real okay. person, and the basketball matches that we watch, basketball games that we watch, were real games. So oh. do you know how he said it was, it was set in 2012? Oh, okay. okay. So it's how the Safdie brothers actually weaved their story because they knew that he had a good game, a bad game, and a good game again. Yeah. So they actually weaved this story so they could actually use that as part of it. That's really weird. And then he was happy for them to be like... Well, well, he's in the movie. I know, but then it's just like, how could you imagine? Okay, so we're going to say that you had a good game because you had the opal opal that you believed was this mm. and you had a bad game because you didn't have the opal and then you got the opal and you had another good game yeah yeah and, and, and like all the bets would obviously they knew, they knew the, if, if the bet would succeed or not and how yeah, it, yeah. It, I just found that really really interesting and really well and like the Safdie brothers themselves they've made a few films I mean they made a film called um, Heaven Knows What which is this really small indie made Good Time with Robert Patterson, which sort mm-hmm. of got them really on the map. Um, and actually, I think it's Benny Safdie who actually plays the, the second lead in that movie. Oh, okay. And then they made this, which is like, they've, in interviews, there was, a, there was an A24 podcast where it was the two Safdie brothers and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson just interviewing each other. And I'm not kidding you, like it was, it was, 
like cinematic porn listening to these guys just talk about like different lenses <laughs> and how they work because again they both work with Adam Sandler in dramatic roles yeah, yeah. and how they were using him and things like that it was so interesting but like these guys could be like the future and I can't wait to see what they're doing next because like Uncut Gems for me reminds me of in a way like Raging Bull it's, mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about Raging Bull on this podcast and just how like chaotic that movie is and how those scenes unfold and how it builds up it's like Scorsese really gets that boiling pot of scenes and make, let, let them explode and yeah, yeah it is great to watch and what an ending good what ending ending good ending but no spoilers but no, no spoilers. spoilers here but yeah the ending I really liked um there was a bit where I was like <gasps> yeah probably not the bit that you're thinking of um but yeah um i did i think it's a good choice man yeah good choice for, so for me it's one of those films where I, yeah, I can see especially with filmmakers early on in their career i would love to see how they go on and like how uncle gems is seen you know like people like looking in back 20, 30 and like years studying and seeing, like, it to see how they got they've better? evolved and have they got better did they get worse was this like the flash in the pan and they didn't really know what to do because I say they've talked about Uncle Gems is they've been trying to make every film that they've made has has been seen as a stepping stone to make Uncle Gems because they've had this idea mm-hmm, so yeah I cannot wait to see what they do next have you got anything else that you want to no just the um, like I said I thought it was going to be a bit of a eh, it's fine something to meme um but it really, really surprised me. Good. Very much enjoyed it. Um, I feel like you can make a very good drinking game out of the amount of times that Adam Sandler swears. Well, that's one thing is, I actually looked on YouTube and Netflix actually released a supercut of every single F-bomb. How long is it? How long it's is it? four minutes, 12 seconds. <laughs> there is 560 f-bombs in this movie and i think that makes it the fourth highest ever okay what's the number one i think it's wolf of wall street i was gonna say i was gonna ask is it like something like that or a tarantino or something i think it's wolf of wall street and i believe maybe in between two and three or it used to be um south park bigger longer uncut but that that might have i feel like south park might have to come back swinging and just have like another 560 f-bombs in this movie i'm pretty sure sandler delivers a good 75 percent of them oh god yeah that man must have had like no voice left after (laughs) filming because he just spends his entire like thing just it's just shouting yeah and it's like it's when you have those scenes as well it's when you're talking to someone and you want to get to, to like for example he's talking to lakeith stanfield um, Damari mm-hmm. and he's like where's, where's the Opal but he's not answering the question he's talking about something else and that just well that's true to life it's yeah, a very yeah, yeah. true to life it's, film it's sort of like he obviously doesn't want to talk about it he wants to change the subject but yeah. like Adam Sandler is so focused on he wants to know what is happening and like keep everything in his control but yeah it's, yeah, it's so stressful so so stressful but, You're just a chilled out person. No, I just think I've had more stressful <laughs> things than watching that film. Right, so I think that is our review yeah. discussion on Uncle Gems. Yeah. Next week. It's me. Is you. What have you chosen as your first film in Future Classic? Um, I have got, I have got, um, a few in mind. I haven't decided, decided. yet. Yeah. The problem with me yeah. is um, uh, I think a lot of people kind of who know me know this. I have no concept of time. Yeah, yeah. So I go, this film is great. That film came out like 40 years ago. I just look at it and go, great film. Let's do that. No, it's too old. Right. Um, in my head, it's still 2015. Okay. So, Yeah. So I've got a couple of days to have a thing. Yeah, and... I've got one that I know is definite. I've got a couple that I know are definitely in the next in within ten years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to have. 
I want an adult, a couple of adult ones, and I also want to find like a kids one mm. because I feel like when you look back on things like Toy Story at the time, it was huge, but now it's like a, it's a must see. Every parent is like, "What film are you going to watch with your kids?" Toy Story. Yeah, it's a classic. It's the yeah. That's what I want to have one where I'm like, to me, I feel like in ten years' time, this will be the film that all the parents are like. You got to watch this with your kid. It's they'll love it. Yeah, spot on. So yeah. Well, I think that's it, really. As always, you can email us at hisfilmhermovie at gmail.com. Yes. At hisfilmhermovie on Instagram, on yes. Twitter. Get involved, get in touch. Apple Podcast Reviews, lovely. And yeah, I think that is our first episode back in four and a bit months. It is our first episode back in four And we will months. be back next week. I promise. We will. We will not ghost you again. <laughs> Ghosting people. <laughs> and yeah, that is that's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. See you next week. <laughs>